Happiness segment we call Happy Facts. We welcome in two of our favorite happiness contributors, a different one this time as we welcome in our CEO, Deborah Heist. Deborah, how are you? Doing great, JR. How are you doing? I'm just excited to see you. I don't think I've seen you in like a year, so it's... Oh, it had been that long. Uh, yeah, you're right, probably. Uh, but it's been so long, and I have been so uh, uh, anxious that uh, time flies, you know? There you go. Uh Paula Phelps is our other happiness contributor, and she's just like, Jeremy, stop sucking up. That's, she's calling me by my first name, and she knows I don't like it. <laughs> Paula, what's going on? How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. How about you guys? Oh, it's just lovely here. Uh, what we do in this segment is we gather our favorite facts that we found that relate to positive psychology, gather in the studio, and then one by one share them. Now, normally, these are just facts that we've researched throughout the week, but this week is special not only because Deborah's here, but because these facts all come from the latest edition of Live Happy Magazine, which is hitting the shelves. You can find it at Barnes & Noble, wherever fine magazines are sold. There's also a digital edition that is available to you. So let's get started with our facts in no particular order. Let's start with Paula. Ta-da! Well, thank you. I love going first. <laughs> it puts all the pressure on you to begin with. I know. It's, I get the pressure off of me. So my fact this week, uh, as ripped from the pages of Live Happy Magazine, is that practicing gratitude can help you live longer. And I thought this is an interesting topic to look at because we think of how gratitude makes us feel better, but we oftentimes don't think about how it affects us physically. Hmm. Uh, is it because it's uh, gratitude is filled with vitamin B12? Uh, yes, and vitamin C. D, ah, and, no, very uh, good, very good. 100% part of this complete breakfast. Exactly. <laughs> it actually helps you build your immune system, and it, it lowers the stress hormone cortisol, and uh, can lower your blood pressure, and leads to less inflammation which inflammation is a leading cause of disease. Ergo, you lower your uh, inflammation and you lengthen your life. Or as we like to say, the happier you are, the longer you live, right? Exactly. <laughs> and the happier you are about living a long time. <laughs> and therefore you're grateful and therefore it continues. So I'm going to live forever. How about you? It's an upward cycle. <laughs> the longer we do this radio show, it's like taking uh, some kind of like a really positive vitamin. Deb, you are in a, in a high stress uh, work environment, but give a little bit of insight in the companies that you run. You always do like a weekly meeting and people get, uh, you know, appreciated for the things that they do. Uh, how do you believe that affects morale where you work? I think it's critical to morale for people to feel like they're appreciated. In fact, there's a study that was done that said that 67% of people have never been thanked or appreciated in their job, which is wow, which is unreal to me, right? Wow. So, yeah. you know, so how do you get through the day without at least saying thank you? You know, to I have never had gratitude expressed to me at work. Imagine, can you imagine working there? Well, I wouldn't be here, but can you imagine No, working yeah, there? yeah, no. I yeah. cannot imagine staying there very long. So, it's such an important part of making people feel valued, making them feel important. And plus, we all know that when you share gratitude other people are more likely to feel grateful and share their gratitude and it becomes a chain of people who are all kumbaya no you know what i mean no, it makes it a great place to work well and on one hand too as it relates to paul is if it's if it's lowering the stress hormones and it's making you healthier building your immune system it's really an investment uh, against uh, your health care plan you don't have to pay as much for health care if you've got healthier employees you know so i'm just trying to do this from the pragmatic angle <laughs> you you found us out yes that's what it's really about oh, it's a big trick it's all about the copay. <laughs> 
Let's move on now to our second fact, and that fact comes from Deb. Well, you know, talking about running multiple companies, uh, you know, <laughs> there's there's a big part of my life which is affected by sleep or lack thereof. I can so imagine. This, this is also from the now section of the holiday edition of our magazine. And basically what this fact says is that having purpose in your life every day may result in better sleep, which is something mm. I think we're all looking for. Yeah. And, and this once again ties into, you know, the great health quality because a new study from Northwestern University found that older adults who felt their lives had meaning were 63% less likely to have sleep apnea and 52% less likely to have restless leg syndrome. That's, mm. that's a pretty phenomenal statistic that just feeling like your life has purpose solves sleep apnea. What are, what are people spending all this money on CPAP? Yeah, you get to get your CPAP or your mouthpiece or whatever. <laughs> and all the potassium supplements we're taking so that our legs don't hurt at night. We could save, again, we're saving money here. Yeah. So, you know, one of, the things, one of the things they talked about is how, you know, the more we can leverage this idea that building purpose helps with sleep, the more we can end up with an effective drug-free strategy to improve the quality of our sleep, which I know a lot of us are looking for, especially those that don't, that don't have a lot of time to sleep, certainly want yeah. that sleep to be high quality. Right. And we've heard all the time, you know, seven to eight hours of sleep are what you need, but it, you're going to need more if none of that seven to eight is quality. If you're waking up every 10 to 15 minutes, it's it's not good. But I think the maybe the peace of mind you get from knowing or at least feeling you know what your purpose is probably plays as big a role into that anyway, because your brain, at least mine, when you lay down, you can it can go 50,000 different directions when you're just trying to sleep. But maybe if you have that contentment or that... Uh, uh, confidence in your purpose. Maybe that's what maybe that's what slows your mind down. What do you think, Bala? I think it's probably all part of a puzzle, and you know that's a that's a pretty significant piece because if you can have meaning and you can have purpose, uh, a lot of other things will fall into place after that. I just think our our attitudes, you know, and, and emotions have a domino effect, and I, I really do think like if you can get some of those things to line up, a lot of the smaller pieces of our life that might keep us up at night are also going to fall into place. I also think there's a real link to if you have a sense of purpose or you have a sense of meaning, you also have a sense of accomplishment at the end of the day. You feel like you yeah. got something done. For me, that's a big piece of it. When I feel like, hey, we really got something done, I do sleep better as opposed to worrying about the myriad of things I didn't get done, if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense yeah. because if you leave something undone or you have finished or or not even started and you were procrastinating or whatever that's one of the first things that starts rolling through your mind like how am i going to get this done i need to get this done first thing tomorrow so i can move on to the next thing and uh, it's almost impossible to get to sleep at that point it is for me anyway that's <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> the value of meeting and purpose exactly exactly <laughs> Let's move on to another fact, and that is my fact. And that fact is, as I pull my uh, notes up here, research shows that spirituality is the leading character strength associated with a meaningful life. So it uh, it kind of goes back into your uh, fact a little bit, Deborah. But this spirituality leading to a meaningful life, to me, that speaks to the idea that we've talked about a lot on this program of being a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And uh, again, we're not advocating for any particular religion here. But we are uh, saying that there are a lot of benefits to being a part of something like that, feeling like you're part of something bigger, being a part of a community and uh, getting that social aspect. Uh, any, anybody have anything to add to that? Well, I think it really speaks to that transcendence within the character strengths and virtues mm -hmm. table. And, you know, transcendence is all about spirituality and showing that 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 connection 
it's not just your connections here. You do feel part of something bigger. And it does, again, link into meaning. Um, so so it, it plays out in so many different ways in our lives that I think you don't realize if you have it. But if you aren't spiritual, I think you really recognize a lot of components that are missing. Yeah, I, I believe so, too. I do want to add this, and this comes directly from the magazine from Ryan Nemec, uh, who, who writes uh, quite uh, regularly. If you want to tap into your strength of spirituality, he's got a list of things that you can do. Number one, build purpose. And he says become proactive in your community, taking on a new volunteer uh, position. You can uh, learn from spiritual models. A spiritual role model can be uh, whoever it is in your life that you think is a good example of goodness and, and reflect those, those best qualities out of that person. Uh, make an object spiritual. Uh, may, I don't know if it's uh, it's idolatry, but uh, <laughs> you know something that can really help center you and make you feel connected uh, to things. Pursue, pursue a virtue, a quality that you want to see in your life, which uh, we talk about many of them. There are 10 steps to choosing joy and there are all kinds of things that you can do there. It's a book. Deborah wrote it. Uh, again, I'm just sucking up now. Um, but also uh, take the deathbed test, which is find meaning by exploring this provocative test. Imagine you're lying on your deathbed and have to finish the sentence. I wish I'd spent more time blank and the answer is probably not working or sleeping but <laughs> oh, i don't know it, it, my it, answer. it might be sleeping for me yeah it could be it could be <laughs> um i do think that there's something about spirituality also that we don't want to overlook is that many of us express our spiritual nature through community either through mm -hmm. synagogues or churches yeah and there's a big part of community that comes to building meaning as well as purpose and and the other aspect of spirituality is there's a lot of mindfulness to it yeah um you know there's a lot of expressions of mindful practices you know through prayer or through meditation or through you know you know just connecting with the outdoors you know simply sitting by a lake and being lost in your thoughts is a, is a mindful mindful practice for a lot of people and there's a lot to that that builds meaning in your life so you know it is um and and then of course we all know the meaning leads to better sleep which leads to more longevity so it's all connected to uh, us living happier more fulfilling lives <music> Let's go to another fact, and this one comes to us from Paula. All right. Well, when it comes to happiness, your location matters. So those realtors know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Great uh, ad for Zillow right there, yeah. That's right, dot com. Uh, yeah, so so this came to us from Dan Butner, who does the Blue Zones and, of course, has, has made his career out of studying longevity and happiness and what affects that. And he has found that location is so important that he even advocates if you are not happy with where you are, you should pack up and move. Interesting. That sounds almost highly impractical, but what... It, <laughs> well, <laughs> like, I'm, if I'm not happy in Texas and uh, I can't really, like, continue to do this job from, uh, like, Maine, although maybe I could, I you just all have to telecommute into my world. I've got personal experience with this. We had a uh, neighbor, neighbor... We have dogs. We have three dogs, mm -hmm. and they're not barky dogs, but literally if they barked once, our neighbor would call the police. Oh, jeez. Now, fortunately, the neighbor moved before we had to, but we genuinely considered putting our house up for sale and moving to a different part of the same neighborhood because we love our neighborhood where we live because this person would call if the dog barked. Now, we had bark collars on our dog. Our dogs don't bark. I mean, we'd be home all day. Our dogs don't, other than occasionally, like, somebody would walk their dog outside behind our fence. That's when our dogs would bark. Right. We would immediately call the police. Who would show up and go, your dog's not barking, but the neighbor says the dog's barking. And we're like, well, dog's all not right. barking. After a while, it drives you crazy. So there is something about you just can't live in an unhappy environment long enough. Well, what Dan was talking about a lot, too, is like people who live near mountains or water have a 10 percent greater chance of being happier. Wow. And 
And there are different areas. He's saying, you know, places without billboards tend to have they're more walkable and they also have a happier population. Uh, people who live near a park, there's so many things that you can do that you can look at. Uh, you can look at where the happiest cities are and they're happy for a reason. And you can use those things to determine where you would live, what suits what you want out of life and. And, and moving there could actually boost your happiness level. And maybe for your neighbor, too. Uh, you know, a place like that might not have as many uh, dogs who are apparently just out of control. Well, I, you know, I think the living with dogs makes me happier. So yeah, he's no. He's going to have to. It, yeah, he's going to have to deal. He can move to the mountains. He can move to the mountains. And we, he did. He moved to Nebraska, just so you know. Oh, good. <laughs> no mountains. Oh, you know. no. No mountains at all. Paul and I both grew up there, so good. Thanks for sending him, thanks for sending him there. I hope he likes cows. Yeah, he yeah, be better like cows and uh beef and cabbage um not at the same time uh, anyway I, th we've talked about this before though paula about the happiest cities index and they all seem to have uh mountains lakes hiking trails or close access to all of those things uh so yeah it's very interesting that uh that this is is becoming more and more uh widespread mainstream knowledge as it relates to positive psychology yeah and i would think you know i think you have to be happy where you live but i never would have given it that much weight. Like when I said, what is the most important thing you can do to be happy? And it's your location. Never saw that one coming. That's the most important thing in property values. But as far as <laughs> as far as happiness index, I didn't know that either. It's interesting. Is this why when you ask everyone who lives in California how they can stomach the uh, price of living, they say the weather? Yeah, I think it's probably a big <laughs> part of so. it. <laughs> Let's move on to our next fact, and that one comes from Deborah. This is really important in my family. Family traditions create positive emotions and togetherness, but it's not just family traditions that, you know, that we're talking about here. It's that really children need to have a knowledge of their family history. It has positive effects in their life. It kind of gives them a place of where they're coming from. It, it shows that if they really have a knowledge of their family history, they have higher self-esteem, better family functioning greater cohesiveness and lower levels of anxiety, and ultimately less behavioral problems. And for us, as a family, carrying on our family traditions around the holidays is really important, and it's great to know that they have these great benefits. But it also makes sense um, in the sense of if your children know this, it probably means you're spending a lot of time interacting with them. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, just giving them the attention that they need and the place of belonging that gives them security is always the way I've looked at this. No, I agree with that completely. Uh, first of all, I do have to apologize. I thought we were just going to be talking about the Hank Williams Jr. song, so I didn't really research this. <laughs> um, but, why must you drink? <laughs> but, well, I, I did I'll tell you why uh, off the air, but it, it does stand to reason. I remember there's a certain age and maybe maybe for some folks this is earlier, but I've experienced this with a lot of my friends. We reached a certain age where we wanted to know this stuff. Mm -hmm. You want to know where you came from. You want to know what your great great granddad was like or, or uh, you know, you get excited about this recipe that your great grandma had 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 fixed or and it's still good. It still works. I think that it probably plays into this idea that we've talked about before of community Community and belonging mm -hmm. and and uh, they get a sense of pride that your family has had these things that have been carried down uh, no matter what uh, status your family has been through the years. There's also a certain uniqueness about family histories that are yeah. everybody's are a little different, especially here in America. We're, oh, yeah. we're a hodgepodge of immigrants and communities and, and, and we're, we just have all sorts of multicultural variety 
not in all parts of the country, but in most parts of the country. So, you know, yeah. to identify with your cultural heritage, whatever it is, I think does give you a place of belonging in the world and gives you a sense of continuity to history. Everybody kind of goes through that existential uh, existential crisis at some point in their life where they realize yeah. your lifespan is 100 years and that's a blip right. in the and scheme the, of yeah. things. So giving that place of belonging um, to children at a young age I think also helps with that. It's like I have something I'm contributing and I'm a bigger part of something bigger than myself. Once again, back to meaning, purpose, spirituality, right. I'm part of something bigger than myself. And Paul has probably done more research than either JRRI <laughs> on this sort of thing. So we should probably ask her because she probably really knows. <laughs> I don't know about that. But I do know, too, that as you go on, you know, even the, the great thing about those traditions is the way they're when they're instilled in you as a child, it really lasts with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here I am many years away from being a six year old kid at Christmas Eve at my aunt's house. And that was truly some of the best childhood memories I had. And that still keeps me anchored to Christmas. Like I still uh, remember everything about those Christmas Eve celebrations and, and the things that we did. And they were Swedish and had their own little set of weird food and things we did. <laughs> but, but it was, you know, and I still like every Christmas Eve, that's that's really what strikes me. That's what comes to mind. And, and I think that's the gift that we give our children, too, is something that's going to last long after we're gone and think yeah. about that generations from now. Well, it's funny you were mentioning all the different traditions and you mentioned being Swedish. I've got uh, some German heritage and I've never been to Germany, never been really all that close to Germany itself. But when I go to an Oktoberfest celebration here or uh, even just a German restaurant that's that's very traditionally German, I feel almost a sense of pride like this is where I belong. I, this is something that, that is a part of, of me. Maybe that's just because I like beer and bratwurst. I don't know. But I think there's maybe some kind of primal calling back to the lederhosen. I don't know. Well, see, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad because now I understand the lederhosen. Yeah, right. yeah. See, now you get it. <laughs> I know. And, and I'll take bratwurst over lutefisk any day. Oh, I'm gosh, just saying. who wouldn't? <laughs> we, just did, we just alienated our Minnesota audience, but I agree with it. I agree. I stand by it. <laughs> Let's move on uh, to our final fact here, and that is my fact. And actually, it's I can't even really say it's my fact because it came from an article that Paula wrote for Live Happy Magazine, which is available wherever fine magazines are sold. Again, I uh, want to remind you of that and the digital edition available in the Apple and the Google Play Store. But anyway, to my fact, it is that when you are in a dire situation, health or what have you, simply expressing gratitude can brighten your outlook. And I thought this was really interesting, Paul, if you don't mind me uh, kind of quoting uh, your uh, article here. Researchers at uh, the the, uh, SWPS University of Social Sciences and Humanities in Poland did this study of four groups. They had depressed men, depressed women, breast cancer uh, patients, and prostate cancer patients, and did a 14-day training period in which they learned to be more reflective of their day and things they were grateful for. And by the end of it, they all experienced uh, an increase in a sense of well-being and of uh, a sense of social support or a perception of social support. And uh, another study was done where uh, folks were asked to keep a gratitude journal, write letters, count blessings, do all these sorts of things, and found out that journaling your gratitude was the most effective. So even when you're at what you might feel is the lowest, you can increase your uh, your feeling of well-being simply by being grateful for the things you do have. You know, there's a lot to be said for getting out of your own head. So when we're feeling unhappy, we're feeling low, we tend to have that euphemistic pity party in our own heads. Mm-hmm. You can't have that and feel grateful at the same time. 
you have to go through the gratitude exercise. It gives you, makes you more external. It makes you more uh, thankful for what is in the world. It makes you notice the good things that are in your life. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're just really obsessed with what's wrong, there's a lot to think about, and you can really, you know, you, it's that filtering what you're putting through your mind. And gratitude is an easy way to change um, what is going on in your mind. And and if you're someone who who does tend to gravitate toward the negative, don't beat yourself up for it. Humans have evolved to do that. We all start at that point. But you can rewire yourself. You can train yourself to be looking for those things. And uh, it's interesting. Our good friend Sonia Lubmeyerski, uh, just a, an article today that I saw on the Internet while messing around on the Internet, uh, it talked about how you're happiest uh, when you're older. When you are in your 60s and 70s, not the world doesn't get worse then it gets better. Why? Because you start to realize, well, I don't have a whole lot of time left Mm. and you start to see the world in a different way. And, oh, wow, this was great. This was great. This was something that's not so good, but this was great. So you tend to focus on the great things, uh, the the more your uh, experiences in life uh, change your outlook. Even though I felt like, felt like Jr. told me was a, I was getting near death in that statement, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not 60 yet, but I just turned 51, so I'm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're yeah. You've got plenty of time. I do think we should go to the expert on the subject. There. Paula, what do you? What do you? You wrote the article. What I'm say you, ma'am? An expert. Uh, well, I think it really speaks to the whole idea of what you focus on flourishes, and and where you put your energy is what's going to become your reality. And what I love so much about practicing gratitude is when you start doing it, even simply by journaling, you're really retraining your brain without knowing it. You're teaching your brain to look for things that you're grateful for. Because if you know every day at the end of the day you've got to come back and write three things down, you're going to spend your day looking for three things that you're grateful for. And pretty soon you've rewired your brain to start looking for the good things in your life that you can be grateful for. It's like we say all the time, and, and Deb, you've said it before uh, when we've done the podcast toge- uh, together. It's a process. It's a practice. These are things you, you work at. You you don't necessarily just come right out, and it's perfect, and you do it right every time. And so don't beat yourself up as you're, as you're putting these things into practice because that's just what it is, something you're going to work at to get better at. Yeah, it's all about practices and choices. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, it, you can change your life one way or the other by a bad practice or a good practice. Absolutely. You know, and um, there's so much here that is so easy to implement. It's, it's, it's just easy to do, and it will change your life. It's also easy not to do. In fact, mm-hmm. it's, easier, it's, it's easier than going to the gym every day. It's easier than yeah. getting up and walking around every day. And you don't have to pay a $50 membership if, uh, and that will auto-draft even if you're not going. That's correct. You're not, <laughs> you're not, you're not paying to absolve your guilt. Again, we are um, here to save you money. <laughs> Hey, you know what? We could start the gratitude gym, and we'll we'll charge fifty dollars a month for people to be grateful. How about that? We can knock it down to twenty dollars and just send them a reminder every day. Yeah, <laughs> and a copy of the magazine. See, there you go. There you go. We got business plans forming on the show. We got to we got to talk to marketing staff. <laughs>